series called Heal Like Jesus. We're going to look at the blind uh, beggar named Bartimaeus today. And uh, the next time we'll look at Malchus, um, the man who had a severed body part. And so that's going to be a fun one to look at. And then we'll uh, conclude this whole thing. So, um, so yeah, so uh, we're in a series called Heal Like Jesus. And we've been looking at the 26 miracle stories of Jesus. And the idea is we're not just admiring Jesus from afar. We're looking to learn to do healing ministry the same way the disciples did. They learned it by watching Jesus. They didn't learn it from the Pharisees. They didn't learn it from the YouTube channels of the people criticizing miracles. I remember uh, I was arguing with my friend one time. You know, this is years ago in my Pharisee days, months ago. Anyway, and so <laughs> he was arguing about it always being God's will to heal. And I'm like, have you ever noticed that the people who believe it's always God's will to heal sure seem to see healing a lot more than those who don't? Like Hint number one right there. All right, there we go. So, uh, so we're, we're not just admiring Jesus from afar, but of course we're admiring we're, we're, and marveling at how he uh, you know, was submitted to the Father and he only did what he saw the Father do. But we're also uh, looking at it because we now have the same relationship to the Father that Jesus had. We've been adopted as sons and daughters and we have the same Holy Spirit whom he depended on. So we're learning not to just do, uh, do things like Jesus, we're learning to do it as he did it, okay? So the idea in these stories is we're meditating on them. I'm, I'm trying to paint pictures in our minds so we can meditate on these stories. Hopefully you're going home or you will at some point, go through these stories again and meditate on them, and not just see how Jesus did it, but eventually you're seeing yourself doing these things. And that's when it becomes powerful, because we looked at, um, boy, like back in July, when we <laughs> looked at a message, uh, how the, uh, the, word for the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Old Testament word for mind is the word for womb. And the word for seed is sperma. And when the sperma of the word of God uh, comes into the womb of your mind, it will harvest and produce that fruit. But we've got to keep it in there. We've got to let it gestate. We've got to let it marinate. So we're trying to take these stories and marinate on them. How many of you guys know it's not, faith doesn't come from having heard? Where's, uh, where's my friend Dave? Yeah, he just came up and told me that. Faith doesn't come from having heard. It comes from hearing. It's that active hearing of the word of God. It's God speaking in that word of life. And as we were, um, as we were worshiping this morning, I feel like we're just supposed to come humbly before God and ask him to unveil Jesus again to us today. See, you can't just hear the word of God, dissect it, figure it out in your mind, analyze it, and then get the result from it. You have to, it has to be revealed by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says that the, these truths are spiritually discerned and they're taught to us by the Holy Spirit. I had professors in seminary, they were guest professors, they weren't uh, uh, you know, resident professors, but who could explain the word of God to you brilliantly, but they didn't believe a word of it. They were actually atheists. They were historians. They could look at the grammar, they could look at the history, and they could speak it to you. And so it's not enough to simply know about these things. The demons know these things probably better than most of us. Yeah. It hasn't changed their life. There has to, hey, Dawn, good to see you. So yeah, yeah, she moved out of state. It's good to see her again. And so um, it, there, has to be, there has to be a coming where the Holy Spirit unveils. That's there, you see throughout the um, Bible, there's the word, like the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. It's a picture of an unveiling. It's like a curtain in front of something. And you can't see what's behind the curtain unless it's unveiled. And so as we go here in part 25, can we just slow down? And just uh, pray the prayer from Ephesians 1. Uh, maybe just put your hand in your heart and say, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Unveil Jesus to me. Flood my heart with light. Amen. That's a good prayer to pray. All right, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be uh, primarily looking at the story in Mark. We'll be referring to the other ones. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and his disciples. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, 
Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Uh, Bartimaeus is the Hebrew word for son of Timaeus. Bar is son, Timaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. It's amazing how they went from shut up to cheer up, right? <laughs> shut up, oh, oh, Jesus said, yeah, 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 come here, yeah, come this way, yeah. yeah. Nice job, crowd. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang, and came to, sprang up and came to his feet. I just love that picture. Whoosh, throws off the cloak, springs up, comes to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, if you remember earlier in this series, there was uh, another set of two blind men that, uh, that was in the first year of Jesus' ministry that were healed. And um, Matthew and Luke tell us this was another two blind men. Mark just zeroes in on one of them here. So we're just going to kind of focus on the one, but it appears there was two. Mark just highlights the one. But do you remember what the other two blind men called out when they wanted Jesus? They said, what, remember what they said? Son of David, have mercy on us. What's this blind guy doing? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. It's entirely possible that this blind Barnabas had heard about this and thought, you know what? If it worked for those guys, it'll work for me. Oh, I wish that the body of Christ would have that same revelation. Every person should have the same conclusion and allow the faith and success of others to affect them. Guys, we quote this all the time. God is no respecter of persons. You know what that means? God is not a respecter of persons. If he did it for one person, it's not because they are so special and highly favored and come from the right lineage and have this magical amount of spiritual gifting and the right kind of character. No, no, no. If he does it for one imperfect person, he'll do it for another imperfect person. Man, if we could get this revelation that this guy had, he's like, man, if it worked for them, it'll work for me. <clears throat> the people being healed in these situations were entirely normal people. Whatever the Father did for them, he's willing to do for you today. <clears throat> it's never about us except that we are greatly loved. It will always be about Jesus. No one receives healing because they're smarter, more gifted, more moral, or even more spiritual. You guys hear me say this all the time. God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He will not heal you because you're good. He'll heal you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. God wants you well. And don't forget, as we're looking, yeah, yeah, yay God. And as we're looking at this, don't forget, as we're looking at the words and the attitudes and the actions of Jesus, we're seeing the words, the attitudes, and the actions of the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He said, I'm only doing what I see Dad doing. I'm only saying what I hear Dad say. So remember, we're getting a doorway to see, oh, this is what God's like. He has compassion on everyone. I remember last week we looked at um, the Lord uh, shows mercy and compassion unto those who are thankless. And even people who don't thank him, his heart is still to continue to bless. All right, let's look at the beginning of the story, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, no other gospel tells us the name of the, of the beggar. Only Mark does. And usually in these stories, they're kind of anonymous. They're just kind of like, you know, the woman with the issue of blood. You know, the, the, the woman, the widow of the city of Nain. Like, they're just kind of anonymous. But we actually get this, uh, the name of him here. It could be maybe he went on to be somebody in the church that everybody would know. And so they kind of refer to it. Um, 
Maybe Mark's informing readers, hey, there's this blind uh, man named Bartimaeus in Jericho, and you could even go there and hear, hear the story yourself. Maybe you can go and hear him, and uh, he's still alive today. You can go hear him tell the story about Jesus. Uh, like I said, in Matthew's account, it tells us there was two blind men. Uh, Mark and Luke don't bother with the other guy. They just, just got healed, okay? So, um, so Mark centers in on this one. makes me think that maybe he was an important person in the church. Everybody knew him, so he's referring to him. Just a possibility. So let's go to the context here. It's Passover season. So it's springtime, and of course, um, the Jewish people, that meant that they all wanted to go to Jerusalem. Temple law, not biblical law, said if you live within a 15-mile radius of, uh, of the temple of Jerusalem, every male over 12 years old was actually required to come. It was the dream of every Jew that someday I would get to come for the Passover to the Feast of Jerusalem. And so you can imagine it there. It's, it's just, it is packed. It is standing room only. Historians tell us there's about 2 million people crammed into the city of Jerusalem. So it's like a jar of olives in there, right? And so... Um, there's no airlines, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're either going by foot, they're going by animal is how they're going to do it. And so for safety's sake, they would walk together. Remember uh, the story of the parable of the um, Good Samaritan? Remember they're walking through Jericho, and the bandits are there. And so they would have walked together in groups for safety. And so Jesus and his disciples, we looked last time, they came from the north, and they crossed over the Jordan River. They're kind of walking down the side, and Jericho was kind of a natural entry point to go into Israel. Uh, they may have been on the road two or three days. It's a very festive time. People would have been singing psalms as they were going. Everyone's excited to be going to Jerusalem. And um, if you remember, like I said, uh, Jericho was the, um, it was the first part of the promised land. It was a natural entryway right into Jerusalem, right into Israel. And uh, the, remember, Jericho walked, walked around the wall seven times. The walls fell. That city was still there at the time, but it was in ancient ruins, and it was called Old Jericho. I'm bringing this up for a point. This isn't just a history lesson, Okay. So, uh, so, they, so you had old Jericho, and then when King Herod came along, he rebuilt a whole new part of Jericho and, and uh, made it so that his royal court could come here and it was all nice and fancy. Okay, keep that point in mind. Old Jericho, new Jericho, it's going to come in handy later. We good? Okay, so about 10 days before Passover, the pilgrims have begun coming in. Uh, they got there early, just like everyone at this church gets here early. <clears throat> Yea, that I say unto thee. And uh, so, so, yeah, two million pilgrims are converging on it. And they came to Jerusalem, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Okay, so by this time, everybody knows who Jesus is. The gossip has gone through the country. They've heard about the miracles. They've heard his teachings. And so as they're walking along, people also are kind of going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, And they would have, oh, my goodness, that's Jesus, the teacher. They would have left stuff. They're walking along. They're hoping to either see a miracle or hear his teaching, and so they're, they're just leaning in. So this crowd is building, and it's like probably the biggest posse that's ever been kind of coming to the Passover at that time. And they came to Jericho, and, he was, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting there. Mark's account says he was going into Jericho. Matthew's version says, Matthew 20 of 29 says, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So which one is it? Is Jesus coming in? Or is Jesus going out? Okay? I suggest to you this story takes place when Jesus was coming out of old Jericho and into new Jericho. Right in between there is where it took place. Easy to harmonize. How are we doing? I told you it had a point. It wasn't a big point, but some people are like, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, your brain is. It all harmonizes if you, <laughs> if you learn how to read it right. The Bible's full of contradictions. Yep, and I believe every single one of them. From heaven's perspective, it's all fine. Like, we just haven't figured out some of this stuff yet, all right? 
Verse 47, Mark 10, 47, when, when he heard that Jesus was of Nazareth, ugh, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you can see Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He's sitting there and he hears this noise. There's this posse coming. I mean, he's heard other people come by. But he's like, this crowd is rumbling. This crowd is excited. What is going on here? And he was told, is Jesus of Nazareth coming by? Jesus the Nazarene. That was a title that Jesus had. I mean, there were so many males named Jesus during the day. It would have been like John Smith, right? And so it was very common. It's the, the Hebrew word would have been Joshua. You know, it would have been translated Yeshua, Jesus. And so um, everybody and his uncle was called Jesus. And so they're like, Jesus? Jesus who? Oh, the one from Nazarene. Okay, so that's how he got that title, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And so Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus hears this, and as soon as he hears this, he, he realizes what's happening. He begins crying out loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think my voice just changed on that one. <clears throat> Jesus! <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for new growth. <laughs> it's interesting what they're calling him. So if you've been with us throughout the studies, you know that son of David is a title for the Messiah. I mean, how are these guys? It wasn't like blind beggars were like, you know, in, a, in with, the, uh, with the rabbis and the teachers and uh, the Messiah, as those people, you know, they understood that the son of David was the Messiah, at least in the terms of how they understood Messiah. Jesus was going to redefine that. But the saying goes back to 2 Samuel 7, where uh, God makes a covenant with David. And he promised that you will have one who sits upon your throne forever and ever. There will be this descendant from the son of David. So you can imagine everyone and their, their brother's name and their son Jesus hoping that, you know, he would be this, be this Messiah one coming through. And so when they called Jesus, son of David, what were they, what was uh, these two blind beggars, but we're going to focus in on the one named Bartimaeus, what were they saying? They were saying, this is the Messiah. They're recognizing it. This wasn't, this wasn't Jesus the Nazarene. This is the son of David. They're recognizing this. And uh, when they were actually in front of him, did you hear what they called him? They called him Rabboni. Okay, I know the ESV says um, rabbi, uh, because Rabboni sounds weird. But um, there was three designations of the teachers in those days. The first one was rab. It's like, yeah, you're okay. You're just you're rab, right? Right. That was just like a lower level teacher. Then the rab- rabbi. Well, that was a whole lot better. Rabboni means the great teacher. Okay. There was very few people who had the title the great teacher, but one of the titles was for God Himself. Okay. So they spoke of Jesus as Messiah, as the great teacher. Matthew and Luke's account they call Him Lord, which has undertones of addressing Him as deity. And so you can say these guys have had quite a journey of faith. Well, however they came to this, from hearing these stories, piecing these things together. So they've heard what everybody said about Jesus passing by. They hear the gossip. Maybe they've been in the, in the marketplace hearing people talk about Jesus. They heard the miracles of what he, uh, what he, that he's worked. They've heard secondhand reports of what he said. They've heard conversations. Some said he was the Messiah. Some people said he's the, he's the sorcerer filled with demons. They weigh all the evidence and they say, this is the one. This is the one that David, uh, David uh, was talked about. And so they call him Rabboni, Lord. And so they've come a long way in their faith. So they are sitting on the side of the road, catching these bits of conversation, and now they have the opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus is walking by, and they're yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, you can't blame them for being loud. You know, I mean, I'm glad it wasn't like a British crowd. You know, it's like they're, they're very calm and very reserved, you know, unlike you today. And so the, um, <laughs> they begin yelling out. And the, I mean, the Messiah is within shouting distance of them. And they've heard of him healing other blind beggars just like them. And so they're, they're getting loud. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity never to be repeated again. The Messiah is passing them by. Imagine if you're shipwrecked on an island, right, and there's a boat passing by, and it's your only chance of rescue. You'd be like, hey, 
They'd be like, help me, help me, right? That's what these guys are doing. This is, this is their ship passing by on their shipwrecked island. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it said when, uh, when it said they heard it was Jesus of Nazarene, it says he began to cry out, okay? Uh, the words we have translated cry out means to shout loudly, okay? And so the crowd was like, hey, everybody, look at the... No, we're not saying what the crowd was saying. Crowd in verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. In our language, it'd be shut up. You're making a bunch of noise. Knock it off, right? You're upsetting everything. Be quiet. I mean, Jesus is the VIPs, VIP of all VIPs, right? And so whether you believed he was a sorcerer, whether you believe he was the son of God, he was a big deal. He was the most important, most famous person in Jerusalem in that whole area. Whether you liked him or hated him, you got to understand. There's no question. This guy was important. And so it seems like the crowd's feeling is like, listen, Jesus has got to have his proper entrance into Jericho, and you screaming your head off is obnoxious here, right? So shut up. Be quiet. Stop with all this emotion. Okay? He's, remember, Jesus is probably teaching along the way, and so people are trying to listen. You know, it's, like, it's like having 10 screaming babies in a service, right? And so I've actually been in that service before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was like recess. It was just everyone was running around, and... I'm yelling, and they had two drunk guys that were heckling me. They had to take out, and yeah, yeah so. I should have said, um, I should have rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Yeah, but. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried. No, that was a true story. That actually happened. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I love it. So at first it says he cried out, okay? That means to shout loudly, Okay. And then the second word is a different word. It says they cried out all the more. Okay, so here's what that word means. So first he starts off loud. Here's what he goes to. It means ungovernable, an uncontrolled emotion. It means to scream with a piercing scream. Don't we just all love piercing screams? <laughs> We're thinking, oh, man, this is so awesome. These, these, this blind guy, these blind guys here screaming their heads off. Man, I love passion. No, no, you, you, probably, you probably wouldn't have liked it either. It's the, used of utter desperation an animal cry. The man is going ballistic. All right? And these people said, be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. You're being uncouth. You're being rude. And uh, what's their response? You ain't taking this from me. This is my only opportunity. That I want you to see that faith isn't passive. If God wants to heal me, he knows where I live. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants to They're saying, this is my only opportunity. This is the chance of a lifetime. The God who is Messiah is passing me by. If I can still make my wife laugh after 29 years, this is a good sign here, all right? They're like, you cannot, what? I am singing so much late. You know what happened on Monday? I was on TV, and I was on live TV in Pittsburgh. I was doing some fundraiser for this channel or something. And so they, they get me, and so I have a funny bio on, this has nothing to do with anything, you guys okay? And so I, I put like a funny biography on the church website, I'm not sure you ever saw it, it was like, you know, things I'm not, not gifted at, you know, and you know, it was like my other dream job, you know, being a ninja minus the killing part, I guess that just means wearing black pajamas all day, you know, stuff like that. And so, so things I'm gifted at, I had things like um, remembering words of 80s theme songs, so, like, I didn't send this to them. Like, usually you send your bio, oh, Jim is a pastor, and he's so amazing, and, you know. And so, and you act like you didn't write it about yourself. You know, usually send them that bio, right? <laughs> Jim is known for his revelatory teaching, and, oh, wow, thank you for saying that. I wrote that, yeah. And so, that's, that's the one you usually send them, right? And so, for some reason, they pull this one off on the, uh, on the website, 
And so I'm sitting there with a the lady, and they're like, five. And she's like, oh, 80s TV song, four, three, two. She's like, oh, hi, we're here with Pastor Jim. Well, first of all, I don't know if you saw the thing. They're like, oh, we're here with Pastor Jim Baker. And they didn't tell me they were going to flash to my face, and I was staring off into space. <laughs> Go to my Facebook page. I posted it. And they flash back. I'm doing like the thousand yard stare. And so, so Mary gets the giggles, you know, and so I don't know why she's laughing. She doesn't tell me until later afterwards. So, oh, Pastor Jim Baker, oh, you got this church, blah, blah, blah. Well, it says here you're great at 80s TV theme songs. Is that right? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, um, well, how about the facts of life? I'm like, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts. I'm like, I just got to sing on live television. <laughs> Bucket list. I'm a singing machine now. Pretty soon I'll do a coordinated dance with it, so it's going to be good. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. And he's saying, what's he saying? I'm not going to be silenced. I will scream like a maniac. I'll get louder than you're telling me to be quiet. I'll do the very reverse. Listen, Bartimaeus could have listened to the discouragement in the crowd and Christ would have passed him by. He could have erroneously reasoned that his blindness must be God's will. Oh, well, Jesus passed me by. He must not have wanted to heal me. That's not how healing works. God's just going to zap you as you're sitting there in your passivity. Hope does not move mountains. Faith moves mountains. If Jesus would have wanted to heal me, he would have stopped. He's sovereign. He knows my address. That kind of passivity is not faith and takes hold of nothing. Your faith for healing may have to overcome the discouragement of what others are saying. Your faith for healing may have to overcome the discouragement of what others are saying. Your faith may need to persist longer than a few seconds. And listen, if you're going to a church, no matter what name they have on it, but they could be renamed the Church of Fear, Doubt, and Unbelief, stop going to that church. You can't, listen, you can't breathe the atmosphere of poisonous unbelief week after week and wonder why it's not working. Stop going to that church. Yeah. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have it. There's a time you got to go and show your growth. But Bartimaeus would not be denied his blessing. His persistence was rewarded. And so with this highly emotional cry, he says, I've got to have your attention. Have mercy on me. And we've come across that word mercy before. It, means, it doesn't mean just have pity on me, feel bad for me. Some people just want you to feel bad for them. They don't actually want to get healed. They just want to give you their whole litany, you know, litany of, oh, yeah, it's been so bad. I was in this and this and this. It's like, don't try to discourage the person who's praying for you. It's like they're trying to impress me with the devil's symptoms. Don't be impressed by the devil's symptoms. Let them speak just enough so you know what to pray for and nothing more. Oh, it's your shoulder. Good. And then, it, well, the shoulder and it did this and it crunches. And when I do this, it, yeah. I don't need to hear all that. You don't need to rehearse all that. We both need to get our eyes on Jesus. That's what's going to be helpful. So the word mercy, uh, we often see, in, uh, in I think Luke's translation, he talks about it as compassion. Okay, we've seen that before. Let your love be directed towards me and focused on me at this time. So the officials are a little bit embarrassed. The people are staring. The whole protocol has been upset at this time. And Jesus comes to a grinding halt. He's stopping. He's walking along teaching. And then he stops. 
He comes to this grinding halt in verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Like I said, I love it how it goes from shut up to cheer up. It's like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, in verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, the cloak was a large outer garment, and it served a lot of purposes. I mean, number one, it kept him warm, right? And so a lot of times, uh, blind beggars, they didn't have beds, so it could have uh, wrapped up and become a sleeping bag. Uh, could have kept the wind off of them. Could have given them a little bit of shade. But uh, importantly, too, is when they would sit and beg, they, would, they had kind of like a beggar's patch. There'd be a whole, uh, whole group of them. And they would sit cross-legged, and they would put their, gar- their garment out in front of them. And this was kind of their money bag. This was like their offering bucket. This is where they, where, this is where they kept it. And so um, you know, a beggar, and so it says, and throwing off his cloak. Listen, a beggar would never get rid of his cloak. That was his badge. Like, this is his right to be a beggar. This is his homeless sign. Right? This is, uh, this is like, hey, I need help sign right here. And so I suggest that he threw it aside because he was daring to hope that he would never need it again. Wow. Well, we're getting some awesome pictures into faith here. Yeah. This faith that isn't, isn't going to let Jesus pass him by because he knows he's good. Yeah. He's daring to get rid of what was his prized possession. And uh, the faith that he wouldn't be a blind beggar much longer. So uh, nothing and no one is going to hinder this guy from coming to Christ as healer. Guys, we've got to get this idea out of our heads that faith is just kind of this, this sit here and this, this, I'm, getting, I'm working up this feeling and it's getting... No, 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 no. It's, nothing is going to stand in this guy's way. Bartimaeus is not playing it safe. He's not cautious. He's not conservative. He's radically committed to his healing. Bartimaeus is not just stand up after casting aside his cloak. It says, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. And came to Jesus. Uh, he knew what he wanted. He expressed no doubts in God's will for his healing. He's coming forward for it. And now he's standing before Jesus. Verse 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do from you? Now we're so used to what Jesus is doing here. If you've been with us in this other part of the series. What's he doing here? As Jesus is reaching inside of someone and taking that faith. It's, it's, it's not quite there yet. And he's bringing something out of them that they didn't even know that they had. He's helping them work through the doubts. And so... He's saying, okay, so you called for mercy. Lord, have mercy on you. That's correct. And you could go through the Old Testament. That was a, a, correct, a very uh, correct way of presenting yourself before God. That's fine. But it needs focus. Lord, have mercy. That's just kind of a general thing. It's like, God bless you. Lord, bless me. Okay, that's, that's, it's kind of a general thing. Faith needs something focused, something specific that it's requesting here. So um, Jesus might have been like, well, where do you want the mercy directed? To what end? When you say, Lord, have mercy, where do you want it? What kind of mercy do you want? Are you, looking, are you asking for money? Are you asking for alms? Is that what you want? You know that I heal disease. Which disease do you want me to heal? You know others have received. What do you want? Why does Jesus ask? Because it's, it's pretty obvious what this guy wants, right? It's pretty obvious. It's obvious to everyone else in Jericho what he wanted. Why doesn't Jesus just get on with the healing, okay? Instead of holding up the procession and having this whole interrogation, what do you want me to do for you? Are you ready for this? The fact is God is never going to impose his will on you. He's never going to reduce you to the status of a robot. He will not act in your life until you give him a response and cooperation with him. God will never just walk into your life and zap you with something that you're not really asking for and not really interested in. Okay, that would make us puppets. That would make us just robots where God's just will is just zapping us. And Guys, not everything that happens is God's will. Well, hold on. If it's God's will, you know, if that happened, it must have been God's will. No, Hitler was not God's will. Sin was not God's will. 2 Peter 3.9, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Are people perishing? Yes. There's things that are being done that are not his will every single day because love allows you to choose not to, not to receive that love. 
What we are seeing here is what we see Jesus doing many times. He's getting in, he's getting, he's getting in there with them, and he's taking that, that little baby faith, and he's bringing it to mature faith so they can receive what they want. Jesus is like, you're almost there. You called for mercy. You got rid of your coat. Now tell me, I dare you, please tell me, what is it you desire? You know, if he could just express what he wanted in his heart. He's coaching the man from this kind of nebulous faith to this strong and healthy faith. It sounds easy, but it's actually very difficult. Very few people actually know what they really desire. If I were to go around the room today and put a, a mic in your face and say, what is it you want from God? You probably have to think about it for a second. You, you may not have clarity on that. Very few people know what they want, and if they do know, they don't know how to get it, get it up and out to voice their desires to God. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Part of what prayer is, is taking the desires that are being shaped in the presence of God as we pray and actually verbalizing it to him. That's the protocol of heaven. God says, I'm going to give it to you. He causes you to desire for it, and he wants you to ask for it. That's, that's how it works. Many Christians have this vague hope of what they want God to do, but again, hope does not move mountains. Faith moves mountains. Let me ask you this. Have you been specific with God to tell him exactly what you want? This isn't sermon time. This is application time here. Put yourself in Bartimaeus' shoes. You can ask for mercy. God, I want an upgrade. God, bless me. God, give me more. More of what? Upgrade into what? Bless you with what? What is it that he's promised you? Be specific. Jesus says, tell me what you want. Don't just hope for the best. Whatever God gives me will be fine. That's not faith. Faith is specific. Faith is persistent. Don't just ask for this great sweep of mercy. Have mercy on me. Tell me what you want. So Jesus is pulling him from foggy desire to the focus of faith. What do you want me to do for you? And it can be scary to admit your desires because it's like, well, what if it's too big? What if I'm asking in the wrong way? God is okay with you asking in the wrong way. He can reshape you. He can get you. That's something to start with. And whenever God tells you no, it's only because he wants to surprise you with something better. I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, but I want you guys to get this. God's no's are never to punish you. They're always because he has something better than what you asked for. So it can be scary. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to. People have such a fear of disappointment. Well, what if I ask and he doesn't, he doesn't respond? I, I don't think I could handle the disappointment. Part of prayer is bringing your desires to Jesus. And like I said, if he says no, it's because he has a better plan. He may need to work with us through our doubts, but from his side, the answer is already Yes. Probably what keeps us back in our desires more than anything is a sense of unworthiness. Well, I just, you know, I could ask God, but I, you know, I know who I am. I've got issues in my life. Um, I, want, I want you to look around here. Everyone you're looking at has issues, <laughs> including this guy. God only heals people who don't deserve it, so stop trying to deserve it. When you try to deserve it, you've stepped into the performance plan. When you stop trying to deserve it and say, I don't, people are like, I'm so unworthy. I'm like, yes, you are. And the good news is that he heals people who are unworthy. The only requirement is faith. Looking at him and saying, yes, I, I, trust, I trust what he says is true, so be it unto me. If God will heal one imperfect person, he will heal you because he's no respecter of persons. We looked at this uh, last week, but something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And you are worth the blood of God. God gave his son. He sees you as worth saving and healing and delivering and prospering. You are worth being healthy. 
Well, hold on, Jim. I made some poor health choices and I ate poorly. You're worth being healthy. Verse 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So Jesus is coaching this man to say words he didn't even dare to hope for. He just have mercy on me. Now he's getting very specific. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He went from that uh, general mercy to that specific faith. The NIV says, I want to see. And I, I love that I want because this isn't something, uh, it's not just that, oh, uh, Jesus, the crowd would really love to see a miracle. I think it would build their faith. No, no, no. I want to see. He dared. He got it out. He articulated his desires, right? And I can almost see the laughter in Jesus' eyes, verse 52. And, he, and Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's what Jesus was after the whole time, right? And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It's like the desire of Bartimaeus met the desire of Jesus. Boy, that's a pretty good picture of healing. When our desire, and we're able to articulate it to him, meets the desire of Jesus... You get this picture. God can't give you something that you don't want. We can't be scared to say it's too big. I feel I'm unworthy. What if I'm asking with the wrong motives? If you're asking with the wrong motives, he'll help you get into the right motives. Just like he did all these people that we've been looking at. He'll, he'll walk with you and pull out and get you to that point. James 4.2 in the NIV, you do not have because you do not ask God. Sometimes it's tough to beat the King James. This is another one. You have not because you ask not. So God has set his unconditional love towards you. His blessings are chasing after you. He's coaching you to ask, focusing your desire to receive, and we have to dare to believe the love of God. Amen. Guys, there has to come a point where you stop hearing about God's love and theoretically, myself included, theoretically understand that he loves and then just let him love us. First John 4, 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. It's one thing to know it, guys, but we've got to believe it. Everyone in here knows the love God has for us, but how many of us are willing to uh, surrender and believe it? Matthew's account gives us a little bit more insight. Matthew 20, verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So Jesus reached out his hand, and he imparts this healing that restores the man's visual organs. Your faith has made you well. You have to kind of smile at Jesus, right? It's his presence that created faith in the first place. And then Jesus is like, hey, you got great faith. <laughs> you just got to love it. I mean, where does faith come from? It comes from the presence of Jesus. He's the one who created it. He's the author of it. He's the finisher of it. And then we actually have faith. He's like, nice job. <laughs> we get rewarded for the faith that he created. Your faith has made you whole. It does not mean you had enough faith to earn this blessing. Well done. It does not mean faith is the currency of heaven. Faith moves God. No, 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 no. God already moved 2,000 years ago on the cross. Faith responds to what he's already done. God is not there with his hand closed, and then when you have faith, oh, I got it. I got it. No, his hand's already open. He's waiting for someone. He said, when I come back to earth, am I going to find any faith? Is anyone going to take me seriously? Faith is my response to who Jesus is. All right, let's look at some lessons for today. You guys good? Yeah. Are we going to beat the Baptist to the uh, restaurant today? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. God bless the Baptist. We love him. <laughs> lessons for us today. Uh, Bartimaeus, he's a good example of an active kind of faith. Okay? 
Again, it's not this passive approach towards healing. If God wants to heal me or just, Lord, have mercy on me, bless me. with Whatever you have is good for me, right? The crowds ridicule him and telling him to be quiet, and he crowd out even louder. Listen, there's going to be people who are saying, listen, you've gone too far. Listen, you, you've tried that Jesus thing, and it's not working, and so now you need to... That's a discouragement of the crowd. What are they telling you? Shut up. They're not telling you to cheer up. They're afraid what others, people are, get afraid what others are going to think. And what are they going to think of me if I start going for this Jesus thing a little too hard? This man had his attention focused only on Jesus. Nothing else mattered, and that's why he got healed. Another lesson. The devil will always have someone available to tell us why we shouldn't expect to get results when, God, when we ask God for something. I'll say that one again. The devil will always have someone available to tell us why we shouldn't expect to get results when asking God for something. Most people would rather stay with the crowd and not do anything to draw attention to themselves, even if it means not getting their needs met. I mean, I've been, I've been in services where words of knowledge were called out. They're exact same condition. And people sit there because they don't want to be embarrassed because what if I stand up and I don't get healed? Or what, what, and then everyone's going to know that I have this thing. What are they doing? They're allowing the discouragement of the crowd to trump focus on Jesus. Can I just tell you what the scripture says about that? If you believe, he says, um, he who asks should believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man is unstable. It should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to give us a picture, guys. Faith says, yes, I'm taking hold of that. Who cares what everyone else is saying? Who cares what I look like? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to bring out instances that we can probably recognize. And I felt those myself. I've had things called out, and I was more worried about what people thought than I was believing in Jesus. I've been there myself. If this man had listened to the crowd, he would not have received his healing. Jesus didn't stop. He's like, hey, I'm, sensing, I'm getting the word blindness. Bar, Bar, Bartimaeus. I'm, I'm getting the word Bartimaeus. Is there a blind Bartimaeus here? No. He's walking by. If he hadn't yelled, guys, there was lots of blind people in Israel. It was the ones who came to Jesus expecting him to help that got healed. 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus said, your faith has made you well, or something similar to that. All 18 times, they came to Jesus expecting him to help. You have not because you ask not. If this man had listened to the crowd, he would not have received his healing. Which leads me to, I think, the last point. Healing is not automatically received, but requires our participation. Now, don't start focusing on what you have to do. All you have to do is look at what Jesus did and say, thank you. Yeah. Like, like you guys see, he did all the heavy lifting. It's not like, oh, it's all on me. No, no, no. It's all on Jesus, and we say, thank you. If someone's like, hey, I, I, I paid for your meal. Um, here it is. The, bill, the bill's done. Here's proof of the bill. Here's the manager nodding that the bill is paid. Just enjoy it. Oh. What, what do I have to do? This is all on me. I'm feeling a lot of pressure here. Take a bite. Enjoy it. Some people teach healing is a mystery. You know, God, God's will is mysterious when it comes to miracles. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. What, I'm singing again. Whatever will be, will be. We'll pray and if nothing happens, we'll blame it on God's sovereignty. And this story challenges the idea that healing is sovereign and unpredictable act of God. Where, uh, where maybe God chooses for one to be healed and one to be sick. No, no, no. Who's in control of the healing? You are. God's not in control of your healing. You are. He already did his part 2,000 years ago. He said, yes, our part is to say thank you. 
Take a bite. It's been paid for. Thank you, Jesus. I'm getting discouraged. I'm not going to listen to that. Maybe I'm having a little bit hard time believing it. He's going to work with me until I get there. Thank you, Jesus. If Bartimaeus had believed that religious garbage, he would not have been healed. It just feels good to say the phrase religious garbage. <laughs> Bartimaeus believed it was God's will for him to be healed and whole, and he acted on it. He would not be discouraged and persisted until he'd received what he needed from Christ. Any person today who's actively seeking healing will find that the Holy Spirit will progressively build your faith until you, receive, until you have Christ revealed to you as healer. God's patient with you. He can work with your doubts. He can work with imperfect people. And he's going to progressively help you. Here we are, line upon line, 25 weeks. He's, he puts you here for a reason. The Spirit will then provide a circumstance where you will encounter Christ as healer and receive your healing. There it is, our 25th miracle. And so as we move to a time of healing prayer, I want you to walk away with these words. What do you want me to do for you? Hear those words of Jesus over your life. What do you want me to do for you? And uh, before we even move, I want you to just, in your heart, say your desires to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Maybe it's scary to say it because you're afraid of disappointment. I'm just asking you to, to trust Jesus more than those doubting, doubting feelings. Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to take a moment and uh, say your desires to Jesus. And as you're having that courage to say your desires to Jesus, I, want to, I just want to tell you this. God wants you well, and Jesus has already said yes and paid for it. Do not be discouraged and persist until you've received what you need from Christ. Let's stand for, uh, we're going to uh, move into a time of healing. I'm going to ask our healing teams to come up here in just a second. <clears throat> I want to pray for um, a lady named Arveda. And so she was not able to be here I believe she's out of state, and this request came in. We can't do all these, but this one came in, and so this person has been uh, struggling with ALS for two years, Lou Gehrig's disease, and so it attacks your muscles, attacks your breathing. And um, I got some good news. It's not going to dim the lights of heaven to heal our Veda and to heal you. So, Jesus, we love you, and we just see your willingness we feel your compassion as you, as you move to heal person after person and show us what God is like. Our Veda, we speak to your body and we command it to be whole in Jesus' name. We command your muscles and your breathing to respond. ALS, leave in the name of Jesus. Our Veda, be made whole. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yay, God. So the rest of the service, we're just going to take some time for, uh, for healing prayer. And so our, our ministry teams are going to come forward. Uh, our pastoral staff is going to be joining the ministry teams. And uh, the worship team is just going to be playing in the background. And so I just encourage you guys, um, boy, just stay in this atmosphere. You know, I, and if, if you have to leave, I, I understand that. But I just encourage you, just stay around, pray for other people. And I believe we're going to have people, uh, we're going to have, we kind of have like line leaders here that are going to um, come. And so they'll kind of direct you to prayer people. We're going to have a bunch of people up here so it'll... A bunch of people by faith, prayer team. <laughs> this is it. This is the time. And so, um, so we want to agree with you. And so, um, but yeah, so consider yourselves informally dismissed, but I encourage you. Um, if you're going to stay, please don't talk and, and, and disrupt. 
And um, I encourage you to just stay and just worship and just enjoy the Lord. And um, if you've got something that you desire from the Lord, we would love to agree with you. <laughs>